0: Turn with me to Luke chapter 23, Luke chapter 23, we're going to read chapter 23 verse 50 down to chapter 24 and verse 12. If you weren't with us the last few weeks, we've been going through the last hours of Jesus' life. So several weeks ago we looked at the arrest, betrayal, trial of Jesus, where he was mistried, It was a kangaroo court. He was abused both physically, emotionally, psychologically, and even by the justice system itself. Handed over to Pilate, who declared him innocent and then declared him guilty. And then was crucified. And strung up on a cross, tortured to death. And then we come to our passage today. After breathing his last, he dies. Luke chapter 23 and verse 50 says, Now behold, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, the city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. They took it down, wrapped it in linen, and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. So that would have been Friday night, the Sabbath was on Saturday, and no working allowed on Saturday, on the Sabbath. And the women who had come with them from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in, and they did not find the body of of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, That's the angel saying to the women, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them, who told all these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves, and he departed, marveling to himself at what had happened. There aren't very many absolutes in life, are there? There's not very many things that you know are true. Think about what you know is true. You think some things are true, and you're pretty sure some things are true, but those things that you know are true, there's not many of those. Now, you listen to the news, and they'll try to convince you that they know some things are true. I'm sure this is going to happen, or I'm sure this is true, but we know that that's not real. Family members and friends and spouses and relationships try to convince us that things are absolutely true about something but we've learned from experience there's not much you can rely on. This passage tells us that Christianity is about absolutes. That though the world, though our own experience shows there's not very many absolutes, Christianity is a religion of absolutes. It's built on some things that are and must be true. Now, there's not as many as we'd like to think, but there are some, and in this passage we see three, three absolutes about Christianity. First, death, resurrection, and the word. These things are absolutely true, which means they're absolutely necessary. You must believe them. If you don't believe these, if you don't treat them as absolutes, you're not a Christian. And that's not a judgmental statement, that's just a statement of facts. Christians believe these things. Followers of Christ believe these things. If you don't believe them, you're not a Christian. So what's the first thing we see in this passage? We see death. Now, that's not a hard one to grasp, is it? We know death is real. But what we don't do, especially in America, is think about death we spend most of our time and most of our efforts distracting ourselves from the end. Much of the industry around death is meant to distract you from what happened. Funeral homes, funeral directors don't say died. They use euphemisms, passed, gone away, moved on. They're trying to distract us from death. Why? Because death is so absolute and so scary that we can't look at it. But Christianity does look at it. Look what it says here. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph who had not consented. He had not gone along with killing Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down. Joseph of Arimathea was rich. He was a member of the ruling class. He was a member of the government. He was somebody you could trust, which is why he's in the story. Because what was Joseph's role here? To take a dead body and bury it. And there's no euphemisms. There's no distractions. He went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, he didn't ask for Jesus. He asked for the body of Jesus, which means Jesus is dead. Now, if there's one thing that Romans are good at, it's killing people. They knew how to end someone's life. So when he asked for the body of Jesus... Then he took it down. Pilate handed over a dead body. The Roman soldiers made sure that Jesus was dead before they got him off the cross. That's essential to Christianity. Jesus had to die, he had to be dead. There had to be a dead body. And so Joseph takes his dead body and he buries it. Why does it say he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb? What's the point here? You bury dead bodies. The Bible doesn't say, well, let's just move on. No, it says, take some verses, think about it. They took him to a grave. They put him in the grave. The women followed him there. So you have a second witness. They followed Jesus to the cross, and now they follow him to the grave. And then what do they do? They leave. There's nothing more to be done. He's dead. If he had not been dead, what would his followers have done? They would have cared for him. They would have checked and said, he's not dead yet. Let's get some medical help. Let's get some wound care. But they left because there's nothing more to be done. If you're a Christian, you must look at death in the face. It's real. And it's coming. And Jesus says death is part of Christianity. Death is not to be explained away. Bad things in general, Christianity doesn't explain away bad things. See, sometimes Christianity, unfortunately, or Christians, borrow from Buddhist theology. Now, Buddhism says nothing's real. That, That this is all an illusion that we think is real, and it feels real, but it's not really real. And the only reason you suffer is because you're too attached to things that aren't real. And if you just realize that nothing's real, you wouldn't suffer. But sometimes Christians do the same thing. We say, oh, it seems like a bad thing, but it's not really a bad thing. It's God doing something good. We use the word, all things work together for good. And we're like, I know it feels bad, but I don't, it must not be. It must be sort of an illusion that we just don't know. No, it's bad. Jesus being buried was bad. It was darkness. It was death. There are real things in this world that cause us suffering. Death is real. Ignoring something that's real does not make it go away. And if you're a Christian, you know that death is real and you face it. And if you're not a Christian, you may be avoiding the subject. Maybe you're using work to distract you. Maybe you're using substances to distract you. Maybe you're using family. Maybe you're using entertainment. I don't know. But if you want to be a Christian, you have to look death in the face. You have to see Jesus' dead, lifeless body laid out on a slab and see the despair. He was crucified. He was buried. He descended into the grave. And he stayed there. You see, this was Friday night. All of Saturday, Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday night, there's nothing happening. Just Jesus in the grave. Death as real as any we've ever seen. But the good news here in this darkness is that Jesus has been where you are and where you're going. He's already been there. When you get to the grave, Jesus was already there. There's nothing new for Jesus. There's nothing that he hasn't experienced. There's nothing he hasn't faced head on. We must see Jesus in the grave so that we don't fear the grave itself. See, sometimes we're superstitious. We don't want to walk through graveyards or it's spooky. Jesus was already there. He lived there. He spent nights and days in the grave. That's what Christianity is. It takes the scariest thing in the world, it looks it head on, and it sees Jesus there. And not in a metaphorical way. In a real, dead, lifeless body. But, and because of this, we had the next absolute. Jesus didn't just die for our sins, though he did. He was also raised for our justification. So look what it says here. He died. Now on the first day of the week, that's Sunday morning, very early in the morning. That's why we meet on Sundays. We meet on Sundays because of this verse right here. He rose on Sunday. We meet on Sunday. His followers, his most faithful followers, these women who had followed him everywhere, came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Now, notice the irony here. They came with embalming or with perfumes for a dead body. They didn't come to celebrate. They came to mourn the death of Jesus. There was no hope of resurrection. There was no expectation of resurrection. Nobody in this passage, his closest disciples, expected Jesus to be alive. So when you hear people say, well, it's just, It was a hoax. It was a mass hallucination that all of his followers sort of had this joint hallucination. How? They were sure it couldn't happen. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, did not find the body of Jesus, and then they said, he's risen. No. They were confused. He's dead. Where'd the body go? They went back and told the disciples, and the disciples were like, "Mm, no, he's dead. You see how his closest followers weren't expecting the resurrection? Because it was crazy to think that someone came back from the dead. Because it is crazy, isn't it? A lot of people have died. They don't come back. Even in the stories we tell about people coming back from the dead, they're always strange, zombies and things like that. They're not real people. And Jews had no concept that people would come back alive. Sort of resurrection from the dead. That was for the end of time. And so they go to this tomb with no expectations, no mass hallucinations, no hopefulness, no like, he needs to be alive, so we're just going to really pretend hard and tell everybody he's alive. They were shocked. Now, notice what's happening here. They're telling us this. They're telling on themselves. These are his disciples who wrote this. They're saying, we didn't even believe. So what needs to happen? It happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, the angel said to them, What are you doing here? Who are you looking for? You don't look for live people in the tomb. We don't look for living people where dead people are. You see how they expected the followers to know? You know he's alive, don't you? Now why would they know he's alive? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke. This shouldn't have been a surprise. And this is a quote from what Jesus had said previously in the book of of Luke. Jesus saying about himself, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. That was easy to see. They saw that happen. And the third day rise again. They had completely forgotten that. And the angel said, Let me explain to you what happened. Let me announce the obvious. Jesus isn't here. Could be more obvious than that, could it? Look inside. He's not here. But you knew that, right? He said he was going to rise again. He predicted it. Now, why did he rise again? How was death undone here? Some sort of chemical reaction? No, he'd been dead for a while. He was dead dead. He was really dead. So when he came back alive, something stronger than everything we know about science and the world had to happen. And there's only one thing stronger than creation, and that's the creator. So what's happening here is everything they knew to be true with their science and with their logic and with their philosophy and with their experience couldn't answer their questions. So the angel said, because that's not what happened. God himself happened. God came down here and raised Jesus from the dead. Now, why was he raised? Well, why did he die? You see, this is all part of a plan. This is an accident's happening. The Bible is very clear to say this happened according to the plan. Look what it says here. The Son of Man must be delivered. Now that word must be is very important. It's used about 18 different times. It means it had to happen this way. It was necessary. The Son of Man must be delivered and crucified. Why? Well, this is the gospel. Because somebody had to die for sin. And there were two options. You die for your own sin, or Jesus dies for your sin. So Jesus said, in order to save you, I must die for your sin. I must pay for your sin. The penalty of sin is death. And so he died. But if he paid the penalty for sin, then he can't stay dead. You see, the resurrection tells you that everything he said he was going to do, he did. If he didn't come back alive, it meant that he was still paying for sin, that he was not worthy to be raised, that there was something wrong with him, that his work was not quite good enough. But by being raised, it proved to everybody he's done. On the cross, he said, it is finished. And when he was raised, he said, it's done. Why would I stay dead? The resurrection proves that everything that he said he would do, he did. You see why it's necessary to believe in the resurrection? If you don't believe that Jesus was raised, you're not sure that he died for you. If you're not absolutely 100% sure that he was dead and that he rose again, you're not 100% sure that your sins are paid for. And that means you may need to do some more stuff. That You may need to work a little bit harder. You need to try. You need to find somebody to save you. But if you are sure he's saved, then you're sure he paid for your sins. And every single Christian that has ever lived and ever will live believes 100% sure That Jesus was raised. Every single one. So if you call yourself a Christian but you don't believe, it's not the same kind of Christianity. The resurrection is necessary. Because it shows that He was that He was satisfied that God was satisfied, so God raised Him. You see, what happened was God was killed. The body of God, Jesus Christ's body, was killed and put to a grave. We think death is strong, but not compared to God. So God, so death swallows up God. That's what happened. Now, if you know who God is, what's going to happen next? Imagine you're fighting a monster, and you're trying to kill it and everything. It's not working. So you take a grenade, and you pull the pin, and you toss it down the throat of that monster. And nothing happens for a few seconds. But then what must happen? That's going to blow up from the inside out. That's what happened here. Death swallowed Jesus and said, oh, it's done. We won. They didn't realize who it was. that Satan didn't realize who he had. The, de- the grave tried to conquer God, but it couldn't. The grave couldn't hold him. So the angels are like, why are you looking for him? Didn't you know he was God? You thought this tomb was going to hold God? You thought Satan was going to hold God? You thought the Romans were going to hold God? You know, the Romans put two soldiers outside the tomb. Two by themselves, just two guys, who were supposed to stop God from coming out. Acts chapter 2 says, This Jesus, this is Luke writing later, this Jesus, or Peter preaching, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. If Jesus didn't come back from the dead, we've got a God that can't control things. If Jesus was not physically raised from the dead, then death is our God. So you either worship death, who kept Jesus, or you worship Jesus, who killed death. You see why the resurrection is necessary? It shows us who's the most powerful. If Jesus didn't come back alive, then stop worshiping him. If Jesus didn't come back alive, stop calling yourself by his name. If he didn't come back alive, stop showing up to church and singing songs about him. He's not worth it. But if he did come back alive, there's nobody else to worship. There's nobody else worth worshiping. He didn't just come back spiritually, metaphorically. An article was written in the New York Times yesterday by a senior professor at Union Theological Seminary who said it's not really important if he came back bodily. What's important is that he inspired love. That's the New York Times. This is not some backward. It's not important that his body walked out. It's most important that everyone sort of works together and carries on the spirit. Well, that's a lie then. That means what we're doing today is built on a known lie. That's not worth being a part of. No, he came out the same way he went in, with a body. John Updike wrote a, a poem about Easter, and it uses this language of physicality. Make no mistake, if he rose at all, it was as his body. If the cell's dissolution did not reverse, the molecules re the amino acids rekindle, the church will fall. The same hinged thumbs and toes, the same valved heart that pierced, died, withered, paused, and then regathered out of enduring might, now strength to enclose. The stone is rolled back, not paper mache, not a stone in a story, but the vast rock of materiality that in the slow grinding of time will eclipse for each of us the wide light of day. He went in as a man, he came out as a man. If Jesus couldn't bring the body out that he went in with, then he can't bring our body out. Don't trust them if he can't do what he said he would do. But if the resurrection is true, he did exactly what he said he would do. He saved everyone, including himself. He went in with the body, he came out with the body. So we are sure that if Jesus can defeat death, he can save us. If he can rise, be raised then we can be raised. Now, what's most interesting about this passage is all the people in it. You know what happens here? You don't actually see the resurrection. You notice that? They bury him, they leave, they come back. What do they find? It's already happened. It happened while they weren't there. In other words, God doesn't need his disciples to help him. He doesn't need some followers to be faithful to sort of coax him out of the tomb. When they showed up, he was done. He said, oh, thanks for coming to the after show. The work's already done. God doesn't need faithful followers to accomplish salvation. God doesn't need us to do anything. The resurrection shows that he went in by himself, he was killed by himself, and he came out by himself. And we just follow up. But doesn't that reassure you? You don't need to be faithful. God is faithful. You don't need to be powerful. Jesus is powerful. You don't need to save yourself. Jesus saved you. So when we look at the cross. We see that Jesus was already raised when his followers showed up. And nothing has changed. God's already done the work. You can either believe it and follow it or not. But it's already done. And it's not depending on our faithfulness. This helps us in this life because there's a lot of things you can't do. The biggest one is death. What are you going to do about yourself when you die? What abilities do you have in the grave? What strength, what faithfulness, what hope do you have in yourself when you're in the grave? It's over then. So if you're depending on yourself and your good works and your good efforts, what about when you can't do anything? That's when you need Jesus to already have done something. Especially when you are dying. You need someone to save you. You need someone to have already saved you. And if that's true, then you're good. And just like the followers, when you show up to the problem, it's already solved. The old hymn that Johnny Cash sang, there ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm going to rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold this body down. If it couldn't hold Jesus, it's certainly not going to hold us. So you have a choice. Trust the resurrected Savior or trust anything else. Which one's going to bring you out of the grave? So what does it call from us? If it doesn't cause any work, there's no efforts, there's no power, then what do we do? Well, now we see the people's role. You see, this all was written for us. It was written to show us how to react to this. So we have absolutes. Death is absolute. The resurrection is absolute. But there's one more thing. The word is absolute. The word of Christ. Faith in that word. Look with it. You notice who's not in this passage? Jesus. He's gone. Jesus isn't in this passage. This is one of those rare passages in the Bible where you don't see God. And so maybe you feel like, well, Jesus isn't there. What do we do? Well, the angels are there to tell you exactly what to do. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you? Remember what he said? That's all they needed. They wanted to see Jesus. Where is he? And the the angels are like, why do you need to see him? He already told you. He already explained everything to you. Don't you believe him? Don't you believe that he was telling the truth? So what the angels say is not see Jesus. They say, remember what he said, saying the Son of Man must rise the third day. Jesus is absent in the body, but he's present in his word. You see how this is for us? Look around. You see Jesus? I don't. Does that mean he's dead? Where is he? What's the Bible say? Just like these women at the tomb, we just have the word of God. And what this passage is telling us is that's enough. That's an absolute that you can rest everything on. Everything can be rested on the word of Christ. Amen. Everything. You don't need to trust your eyes. You don't need to trust your experience. You don't need to trust anything except for the word. And faith makes it real. You say, "Well, how do we know he came alive? Because I believe that this is true. And every single Christian believes that the word of God is true. Otherwise, how do you know anything about Jesus? If you don't believe this is absolutely true, that you don't know he's raised. You don't know he saved you. You don't know anything. And so we put all of our faith in the same place that they put it. Remember his words. God is telling us that that's good enough. We would love to see Jesus and we're looking forward to when we can see him in person. But this is enough. Remember his words. And the Bible just drives it home. Who's at this grave? His disciples? His apostles? The men who would lead the church forward? Nope. The people who in this culture, no one believed. Every single gospel story tells us that the women were there. Not the men. In a patriarchal society, the men would be given the leadership. Why aren't they here? Because they didn't believe. But the women are there, and why? Because God had a plan, and he put every single person in the plan in the right place. We saw it with Simon, who carried Jesus' cross. We see it with the Roman centurion, who was looking at Jesus and believed. We see Pilate, we see Herod, and now we see the women. Placed by God to show us that the word is enough. You don't need strong leadership. You don't need the world's assessment. You don't need to pick witnesses that the world trusts. You just need the word. And so God says... In this culture, you're not going to believe women. So who am I going to be? The, let be the first witnesses? The women. Why? So you'll trust the word. Women chosen as a model of faith, not what we'd expect, is it? We'd expect the most reliable witnesses. We'd expect Joseph of Arimathea, the, the council member, the rich man, the well-grounded, well-established, Someone whose word carries weight, right? Because that's what God needs. He needs uh, reliable witnesses. God's like, no, I don't care about that. My word's enough. And the women who are faithful will be there to see it. The women who had no other powers. See, why were the women here? Where else would they be? They're not going to make any change happen in that world. They had no political power. They had no financial power. So they went to where Jesus was. And they trusted in his word. And they remembered his words. You see, they believed. And they go back and they tell the men, and it works, right? No, it doesn't. Because there's a hierarchy in this world. And there's some people who are believed, and there's some people who aren't. And this is showing us what happens in the real world. In the real world, you just don't believe some people. And traditionally, women have never been believed, which is why God puts them first. A a God theologian, Mercy uh, Aduyoye, says, without women's participation, the the transformation of human society towards justice, peace, and compassion will not happen. Because it takes women to insist that a hierarchical and insider-outsider paradigms should give way to caring community. The disciples, look what it says when they meet these women. They go back and they testify, they preach the gospel to the men, and the men say, you're crazy. That's literally what they said. It says here, and it seemed to them as idle tales. That's that's actually a medical word that you would refer to someone who has hysteria. They literally called them hysterical women. These are Jesus' closest disciples who would go on to lead the church. They say to the witnesses of Jesus' resurrection, you are crazy. Why? Because they weren't at the top of the hierarchy. And so they couldn't be trusted. This is not a model for us. This is showing what happens when people are in charge. The whole point here is follow Jesus. Don't follow his disciples. Don't follow Peter, Paul, James, John. Follow the words of Jesus. Amen. There's a commentary I have. It's written by feminists who see the behavior of the men and discount the story. They say the faith of the men who were Jesus' successors is not based on the word of women on indirect testimony, nor is it based on the empty tomb. See, Peter goes, right? He runs and he checks, he looks in, and he's like, what happened? Peter becomes a leader. Rather, in this gospel, faith that Jesus has been raised is based upon appearances and teaching of the risen Lord. In Luke, the risen Lord does not appear to women. In this story, we don't see him appearing to the women. Their witness is not essential to the Christian faith. Oh, let me stop him there. She's assuming that we're supposed to be like the disciples. This is showing that the disciples were terrible people. It's saying these disciples who would lead the church failed. They failed at the most basic task of being a follower of Jesus. Believe that he says true things. And so Jesus had to show up to them. He had to show up and say, Peter, Thomas, now will you believe? That's not a good thing. That's not a model. Because what about us? Where's Jesus now? See, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I can see the scars. Well, great, Thomas, for you. But what about the rest of us? Right. Amen. And so the women say, we didn't see Jesus, but we know he's alive. And the women are like, oh, I don't know. The men are like, I don't know. i have to see him to believe it. Giving a model that would have died out within their lifetime. Jesus is taken away to heaven in a couple weeks. Christianity would have died at that moment if everyone did what the apostles did. What we have to do is say, we believe the word of Jesus more than we believe in the need for evidence. We don't need evidence. We don't need an empty tomb. I've never seen the empty tomb. Now the empty tomb proves that Jesus was alive, but that's not why I believe. I don't believe because I've seen Jesus. I've seen an empty tomb. I believe because it's written and it's true. Peter wanted evidence. He went to the tomb looking for evidence. He didn't find anything. And you notice what God doesn't do? He doesn't send an angel to to Peter. He doesn't have another angel show up and say, Peter, I told the women, now I'm going to tell you. Nope. Why not? Why? If Peter wouldn't believe the women that that had traveled with Jesus, why would he believe an angel? Jesus even says that. He says... If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they per- be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. If you don't believe Jesus when he's alive, why would you believe him when he's dead? Peter wanted evidence, and many of us want evidence. I've heard people say, if Jesus would just come back and show himself, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. If you don't believe the word, you won't believe him when he shows up. Amen. A Christian believes that this is true. Absolutely. Absolutely. people want reason they want rationality they want science god says no i won't give it to you he could but he won't why because then you're in charge you get to decide what's rational what's reasonable and what's not so that's what the apostles did they, they listened to the women they said doesn't sound right to us doesn't sound reasonable to us so we're going to reject it now who's in charge the apostles Get to be the arbiters of truth. The Bible says, no. God says, you'll listen to my word or you'll get nothing. Mm -hmm. Celsus, who was the first critic of Christianity 2,000 years ago, said, this is one of their Christian rules. Let no man that is learned, wise, or prudent come among us. But if they be unlearned or a child or an idiot, let him freely come. So they openly declare that none but the ignorant and those devoid of understanding, slaves, women, and children are fit for the disciples, for the God they worship. He says, one ought first to follow reason as a guide before accepting any doctrine. Have you heard that before? If only they would undertake to answer my question, and then he shows his hand, which I do not ask as one who is trying to understand their beliefs, there being little to understand. There's the heart of it. People want evidence that they think is good enough. Give me the argument for God that I think is persuasive. And God says, believe my word or perish. Trust what Jesus said or nothing. And if you're not willing to humble yourself and listen to a child tell you about Jesus, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're not going to humble yourself and listen to people who have the word of God, God will give you nothing else. This is Christianity. Follow the word of Christ. Believe Jesus. You've heard of Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas answered Jesus and said to him, My Lord and my God, I've seen the scars, I believe. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. It's Easter morning. Do you believe that you're going to die? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose again? And do you believe that the word alone is sufficient? If the answer is yes to those, you're a Christian. But if you hesitated at one of those, you are not a Christian. If you are not willing to believe that you deserve death, if you're not willing to believe that Jesus literally died for your sins, that he literally rose again and that the account given is sufficient, God will not accept you. God will not receive you. You're too proud. You're too smart. You're too experienced. But if you'll humble yourself as a child and say, whatever you say, Jesus, I believe it, then you'll be saved. Then you'll be risen. Then you will have life and life more abundantly. Let's pray.